Amen, amen. Acts chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to grab one of those and use it if you need to use it or borrow it if you need to borrow it. Uh, As well, if you're a user of the Bible app, you can follow along on your device. Um, Find our live event and then follow along there, Acts chapter 12. Uh, So yesterday, in about the 90 minutes that it was not raining, um, took kids down to the park and uh, played a little basketball, played a little soccer. At one point, uh, two of ours got up on the playscape, and they were running around, uh, you know, all the climbing things and this kind of thing. And I'm like, at this point, I'm lit up by mosquitoes. I'm like, time to go, people. You know, I'm I'm looking like you just got torn up by mosquitoes indeed. So I'm like, hey, time to go. Let's go. Go down the slide. And they choose the one, and I'm looking at it. And it's one of the curly Q slides, right? So you can't see the bottom. But there at the bottom is a swimming pool. You know, I... of, of mosquito-infested nastiness with some mulch mixed in, right? I mean, and so I'm saying, don't choose that one. Like, go down a different, you got four slides on this deal, don't choose that one. And thankfully, they didn't. Otherwise, it was going to be a long walk home for them. So, uh, offering that that was the case. But, but because I could see what was there at the end, I could tell them, don't do that, Right? Because I could see how this was going to play out and where it was going to end for them. I could say, don't do that. I'm here this morning to say something a little bit like that. I think God from his word in Acts 12 is going to say to us, hey, I see what's going on. Don't go down that slide. What slide are we talking about here? I'm talking about the slide of prayerlessness. I think God in his mercy has done great work in the church in the West and holding up the doctrines uh, of, of, uh, and the importance of truth. I think God in particular in our church, in our congregation, among our church family, has done an um, unbelievably gracious work in us and then used us to do things so we're not people who just sit around and we're not people of inaction but are people of action. I'm grateful for all of that. Let's hold on to the Bible and let's hold on to doing stuff that Jesus says is important to do. Who's with me? And let's be people of prayer. Because if we hold on to the Bible and hold on to action but lose prayer, we're going to go down the slide and end up somewhere bad. Where that ends us up is a place of passionless religion, a powerless religion um, that, that does actual no actual good in the world, but instead uh, works to preserve um, comfort and convenience and this kind of thing. I don't want to be that. I don't think you do either. Let's be stirred up here in Acts chapter 12. You ready? Down one pin there. Acts 12. About that time... Herod, the king, laid violent hands on those who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, because politicians are always worried about what the people think. You thought the Bible wasn't for today. This was during the days of the unleavened bread, so during the Passover, verse 4. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. High-value target there. Intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And what was going to happen? He was going to be what? Executed, just like, just like James was. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but listen to this phrase, but earnest Prayer for him was made to God by the church. 
That's kind of act one. Let's pause there and think for a moment about earnest prayer. Um, the, the word that uh, Luke, the author of Acts, uses there um, has some real uh, texture to it. So, and it's, it's, it's almost kind of a stretching out of, of so you kind of picture like earnest prayer, like they're laying out before the, the Lord for this. Earnest prayer was made for him by, to God by the church. The kind of prayer that we're talking about is this passionate pleading for, of God's children to their kind, good, um, uh, powerful father. They are kids talking to their dad, but it's not like, hey, how was school today? Oh, it was all right. They're kids talking to their dad like that moment when you've had this moment before at the dinner table where you're like, hey, tell me about your day today, and out comes a torrent. And 48 minutes later, you're like, I need another, take another bite, and you probably do too, and that was unbelievable. Out comes this outpouring, this passionate pleading, this this. Um, offloading, if you will, of weight, this stretching out. And this is all part of what we've seen before. Um, all throughout the Bible, the people of God are marked by prayers, okay? They are marked by this kind of passionate, pleading, earnest prayer was made to God um, for Peter by the church. And so all of this happens before um, uh, uh, um, Abraham prays, indeed, listen to me, for Ishmael, not Isaac, he prays for Ishmael this way. Oh God, that Ishmael would live before you, Genesis 17. Because parents, when they get, when something is up with their kids, man, that's one of the places that they can go. Passionate pleading um, to their father. Um, and he prays for Lot in the same way Abraham does. Oh God, if, there, if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom. Oh no, 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 no. If there's 40 righteous people, hey God, will you take 30? And he just, he's pleading with God for this. Um, Jacob, as he wrestles with God, uh, the, the um, Bible describes it this way, that, that Jacob just kind of held on to him and God said, let go. He's like, no, 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 I'm not letting go until you bless me. May we be that kind of tenacious towards this. Uh, the people of Israel in Egypt, Exodus 3, so much so that when God calls Moses through the burning bush, he says, I have seen their affliction. I have heard their cries. I am aware of their suffering. This passionate pleading, passionate pleading. Moses, on behalf of the people of Israel, when they sinned with the golden calf, Moses stands before God and goes, listen, just take me. Like, if you're going to write them out, write me out too. Is God going to do that? No. He won't do that. That violates who he is and all that. But he, this passionate pleading of Moses to God for that. Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 1. She goes and she's praying for her child so much so. And her, her prayer is so passionate that Eli, the priest, thinks that she's drunk. She is, if you will, intoxicated with this passionate plea to God. Um, on and on. David, pick a psalm. I mean, any old psalm, right? Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined his ear, and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a new song to sing. Jonah, in the belly of the whale. Oh, God, man. I have sunk deep down. And he wasn't talking about being in the fish. And then the Ninevites in chapter 3 of Jonah. Oh, we hear what's coming and we need to repent. Nowhere does this get more clear for me than Jesus 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. He lays it out before the Lord. God, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, I'll take that way. But, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the Bible says that he, listen, he stretched himself out. It's the exact same word that Luke uses in in Acts 12. And, And blood was, his blood pressure was so high in that moment of stress as he was pleading before God that he had capillaries break and it came out of his sweat glands. Like, that's pleading. That's a passionate plea before God. Um, That's what we're talking about here. So, So to be clear, we don't pray so that God will be good. Everybody with me on that? We pray because God is good. We don't pray because we want God to be faithful. We pray because God is faithful. We don't pray because we want God to, to somehow be merciful. We pray because God is merciful. We don't pray because we want God to be wise. We pray, God, we pray because God is wise and he knows what's best. And so on and on we could go. This is a passionate plea to my father. And, and, and the root of that, the, the core of that, the very foundation of that is, God, I know who you are. And because I know who you are, I'm going to set these things before you. And here's the great thing about it. There are times when you look in the Psalms, the the, the honesty that the Psalms portray and their passionate pleas to God for his work in the world. The, The Psalms are so full of this kind of honest portrayal that there are things that the psalmist can say to God that God doesn't take offense with because they're so honest. They come from such a deep place. May we be people like that. Earnest prayer was made to Peter, uh, excuse me, made to God for Peter uh, by the church. Here's a question. So we'll we'll see this here in a minute, but Peter miraculously is delivered. Here's a question. Why pray if God's going to rescue Peter anyway? Have you ever had that thought? Hey, why pray if this is going to happen? Here's, I want to say this in here. If you and I were in a, uh, a, a different setting, maybe I would say it differently, but because I'm talking to everybody and not a single individual, I want to say this clearly but compassionately. If, if that's the question of, of, um, that, that, that kind of comes in your mind, I would say this. I would say I don't think we, if that's the question we ask, I don't think that we really understand what prayer is about. Because, why do I say it? Because fatalism has no part in the Bible. Oh, well, God's going to do it anyway. Right? Fatalism has no part. Participation, on the other hand, is all over the Bible. Everybody understand the difference? Fatalism, God's just going to do it anyway. Participation, no, no, no. He's going to use me and you and others to accomplish the things that are important to him. Okay? Fatalism, no. Uh, Participation, yes. In the Bible, we see this pattern over and over and over again. God initiates and we cooperate with him. And that's the rhythm of our participation. God says, here, go do this. You're like, I can't do that. I need power from you. And God's like, good, because I got power for you. And so you step out and do it. And God's like, good job. Let's go do this. And you're like, what? Yes. And God initiates. We cooperate, and that is the, the rhythm of the participation that the Bible has for us. Here's why I say that, because some people are worried about 
Um, it, when this question kind of comes up and comes around, uh, some people are worried about sovereignty, God's sovereignty in this. I'll just say this, that we don't have to rob God of his sovereignty for prayer to be real and for prayer to be effective. Why? Because God has ordained both his, the means of this and the ends of this. this is, uh, that's a mouthful right there. Let me try to break it down like this. We want prayer to be real. Yes and amen to that. We want God to be sovereign because if he's sovereign, he can do things about thing, the things that we pray about. Yes and amen to that, right? Those two things don't have to disconnect. Why? Because God has ordained both the ends, what's going to happen, as well as the means. Very simple illustration. Please don't push this too far because it will crack and fall apart, all right? I have a headache. I go to the doctor. Doctor, I have a headache. He looks at me and he says, take two aspirin, call me in the morning, right? I mean, that's the classic doctor thing. Um, he is saying to me, I am ordaining the end of your headache. And we all say, amen and amen to this. How is he ordaining the end of my headache? Through the two aspirin, right? So if I don't take the two aspirin, guess what? Uh, that's right, that's right, that's right. So he, the doctor has ordained both the ends, the headache being gone, and the means. And God has given us the, the means by which to affect the sickness of the world. And what is that? Prayer. We shape history and cultures and people through our prayers. We don't have to rob God of his sovereignty in order to do that. That's important because if we don't pray, church family, we should not expect God to do the things that we hope he might. He has ordained both the means and the ends. Prayer is the ordained means for us to communicate with him. It is the ordained means for us to request things of him. And it is his ordained means for us to participate with him in kingdom work. Fervent prayer. Earnest prayer. Lay yourself out before the Lord. Prayer. And when they did, look at what happened. Verse 6, chapter 12. Peter was in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod, verse 6, was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping. Can we just hit pause for a second? Hey, I'm about to go meet my end. What am I doing? Sleeping. Somebody must have been at peace with all of this. He was sleeping between two soldiers, mind you bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. So the light didn't wake him up. He must have been sleeping pretty soundly. Hey, that poke him on the side. Get up, Peter. And you ever try to wake up a teenager? Okay. And the chains fell off his hands, verse 8. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you. Follow me. Get up, put your socks and shoes on. We're moving. Verse 9. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Was he in for a surprise? Verse 10. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. So the last thing before they got out, right? And immediately, excuse me, it opened for them of its own accord, automatic. It's 
And, it, and uh, um, when, excuse me, uh, I lost my place here. And they went out and went along one street, and then immediately the angel left him. So past the guards, out, out of the cell, past the guards, out the automatic gate that had the sensor or whatever happened, God just pushed it open for them. They go down a street to make sure Peter doesn't go, oh, what am I doing here? And then the angel leaves, verse 11. And then Peter came to himself and he said, oh, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from uh, all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. I love this part. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate. Now, you've got a convicted um, capital offender who has just broke out of prison, who's standing at the doorway going, ding, 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 ding. Rhoda's like, oh my gosh, it's Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter. And she leaves the door closed, and he's going, I really need to get off this street, okay? Like I need, verse 15. They, they said to her, you were out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. Now that could mean it's a messenger from Peter, or some people think like uh, maybe his guardian angel or something like that. Verse 16, but Peter continued knocking. Please let me off the street. It's the middle of the night. I just got woken up by an angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning them to, with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. So earnest prayer was made to God for Peter by the church, and God worked. And I, I think when we have a moment when we earnestly lay our lives before God, I think the, the response of our hearts, if you will, the posture of our hearts should be expectancy. So earnest prayer leads to a sense of expectancy. Now, when I say expectancy, please don't hear expectations. Expectancy is I anticipate that God is going to work. Expectations are, here, God, here's my best wisdom on how you should work. That's not always the best plan. Everybody with me on that? So expectancy, if you will, would be something like this. Anticipation that is poised for action. You're in the block, right? On your mark, get set, and you lean up. You're poised for action. Um, often, again, we're not expectations, expectancy. There's two very different things. We're just confident that God will work. We're not telling him or giving him counsel as to how, how to work. Um, what happened here, and I think this is true across uh, kind of people who follow Jesus and across the ages, I think often God surprises us in the ways that he works. Anybody ever had a prayer and you're laying it before God, and the answer that God gives is not what you thought, it's way better, and it's really shocking, right? And you're like, wow, I never... So, so Peter's in prison, no doubt he's prayed. God, give me courage to endure whatever's next, right? They killed James. So God, just give me, give me courage to, to stare this down, to walk faithfully to the very end. You already told me I'm going to die at some point. They're going to leave me out and do the thing, and God, just give me courage. He, I'm sure, I'm sure that he is praying that way. And he probably is throwing in, hey, 
And if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it be. I'm good with that too. And the people in the church, they're praying, God, give Peter courage to be uh, to the very end, faithful to the very end, and deliver him. Like, you can, you can do this. You can, you can move. You can work. You can change the situation. And so they're praying, and then what happens? It wasn't some political move that got Peter out. It was an angelic move. <laughs> get up, Peter, get up. Not only did it surprise Peter, I mean, shockingly, he's like, Oh, I thought this was just a dream. Hey, hey, how about that? Knock, knock, knock. Who else did it surprise? Rhoda, the servant girl, and all the others, right? Like, oh, God, God, please deliver Peter. Knock, knock, knock. It's Peter. What? God may surprise us, but that doesn't, that doesn't um, let us up from or, or take the responsibility of us being anticipating, if you will, as it says there, um, uh, and being poised for action. There's an old preacher story. It's such a good one, though. And I'm going to tell it. I know I've told it in here once. There's a group in Kansas in the middle of the drought. They gather to pray. At 3 o'clock, everybody, we're coming to pray. All the deacons gather at 3 o'clock to pray. Pastor walks in at 3 o'clock to pray. In the meeting, he looks around at them and goes, I ain't praying with you guys. And he gets up and walks out. Chairman of the deacons goes stomping after Pastor! You called this meeting. You said to come pray. We're all here to pray. What are we going to pray for? We're going to pray that God will make it rain and bring it into this drought. He said, why did none of you bring an umbrella? It's a great old preacher story. I mean, like, that's anticipation that is poised for action. God may very well surprise us. He may not answer in the ways that we think, but man, let's be ready for when he does. So the, the question comes and says something like this, but I prayed and God didn't answer my prayer. Uh, in other words, they killed James. We prayed, but he didn't answer my prayer. I just, this is pastoral. Let me give you some questions here to think about. Um, was I ready to bear the responsibility of the answer? Sometimes God has to work in me to to ready me to bear the weight of the answer that he wants to give. And that's part of the reason that we spend so much time in fervent prayer and reading his word is so that God can shape and mold our character to, to the character of Jesus so that we can bear the responsibility. Um, maybe we're not ready to bear the responsibility. Secondly, um, God may, He does God, let me ask it in a question form, does God want to do something different? God, I'm praying that you would do this. Give Peter courage. God's like, oh, watch this. Is God doing something different? And often, folks, when we pray and God does something different than what we're praying for, it often, that's not true. It always turns out better than we thought. Um, Thirdly, is God doing something? Is Is he wanting to change a situation elsewhere. God, I'm praying that you would work here, but God, because as somebody said this week, I had lunch with them, God's playing 3D chess, right? Not just checkers, not just chess, 3D chess. And so God is like, yeah, I can fix that now, but I'm going to fix this over here and fix this over here. So all of this works in the end, right? Like I'm going to make this stuff happen. Is God changing a situation elsewhere? And lastly, is God protecting me from getting what I want? Because if we knew everything that God did about all the situation that we're praying about, 
we would answer just like God did. Is God protecting me from getting what I want? I will say this. This is pastorally. It is often, I think, it is often for me harder and more difficult to hear a different answer for others than it is for myself. I can pray, God, would you do this? And God's like, nope, not like that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just follow along. When I pray for my kids, or for some of you, and God answers differently, that's harder on me than getting a no from me. So parents, I just want you to know, like, sometimes we pray, and, and when God says no to me, that's one thing. But when God says no on behalf of somebody that we care about, that, that's even more difficult. Um, here's a thing on that. I'll just We'll move on quickly, but... Um, the, the, the issue with earnest prayer leading to expectancy is this. But God didn't, he may not answer the prayer I want. I understand that. Um, but, but if you're playing for the Houston Astros, and, and this is game seven, World Series, bases loaded, we're, we're going to beat up on the Dodgers or whoever we're going to beat up on this year, right? And it's your turn to step to the plate. And in the ninth inning, their closer, his best pitch is a fastball. And you work the count to full. It's 3-2, right? What's the one thing on that pitch that you're not going to do? You're not going to take it. You're not going to not swing. Nobody's going to write, for all you baseball nerds, a backwards K in your why? Because you're there. It's your moment. If you go down, at least what? At least go down swinging. Church family, God may not answer the ways that we think. We may be poised and anticipating an answer, and it may be something radically different than what we thought. Or he may say, no, not yet. But listen, if we go down, church family, let's go down swinging. Let's pray the biggest prayers that we can pray. Let's ask God to heal everybody. Let's ask God to save everybody. I mean it. Let's pray the biggest prayers that we can pray. Let's believe God for some big things. And then, if we go down, we're not walking back to the dugout with our hat pulled down. In Let's go down with big prayers on our lips. Okay, last thing. After we make earnest prayer... And that leads to a sense of expectancy in us. What happens next? Uh, verse 18. Now when day came, no little disturbance among the soldiers of what had become of Peter. No kidding. Uh, and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death and ordered that they should be put to death. Excuse me. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. He had just lost a lot of face in the eyes of the Jews. I would be leaving town too. Verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. So they had some good reason to ask for peace. Verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on the royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Now, a little bit of history here. Herod, when it says he put on the royal robes, don't think like, like, you know, Charles II or whomever, pick your favorite monarch. Like Herod had special robes lined with silver so that when um, 
when the sun hit them, they glittered, right? I mean, this is Herod. Verse 22, and the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Here's the thing, and this is where I think when we make earnest prayer and when we live with a sense of expectancy, there's a couple of things I think that are true. Well, this, this big result, and this is where it ends for us. Instead of a prayerlessness kind of ending us in a pit of mud and, and passionless religion, um, powerless religion, um, if we live with earnest prayer and expectancy, a couple of things, uh, there's peace that comes. Peace. And why do we have peace? Why? Because number one, God can work in the supernatural realm. And he so often does. As Westerners, we don't think about the spiritual realm. I get that. I just That's true. Maybe we need to be stirred in that a little bit more. I and mean, we've got angels showing up in Peter's cell. We've got angels that they're worried about it being Peter. I mean, we've got angels all over the place when it comes to this story, right? And over and over and over again. Um, John G. Patton, who was a missionary in New Hebrides uh, in the 1800s, um, he and his wife got surrounded one night um, by, uh, uh, by these folks that they were trying to minister to, and they knew what was coming. So he and his wife huddled there, and they said, God, if you want to do anything in this moment, now's the time to help. And the, and the, the tribe like came into their property, crossed the fence line, into their property, stopped and went home. Patton finds the chief the next day. Is like, hey man, uh, are we all right? Because I thought we were done. And then they, she, and the chief goes, where are the men who were with you? Patton's like, what you talking about, Willis? I don't know what you're talking about. No, there were men with, and I'm quoting, with blazing swords surrounding your property. We didn't want to attack. Well, that's an angel of the Lord. He sent them to protect me so that I could tell you about how much God loves you. God will work in the supernatural realm, and let's just let him, okay? Let's just let him. He can handle all that. But don't forget this, that God also, because he's not a disconnected God, God will also not only work in the supernatural realm, God will work in the natural realm. Folks, he can deal with Herod. God can send an angel and deliver Peter, but he also can deal with Herod in his proper time. And senators and all sorts of other folks. God will work in the natural realm. He's not disconnected. And you and I, instead of posting stuff, we can pray, and then we can live at peace. We can be at peace, trusting that God is in his heavens, and he does whatever is right and good in the world. Let, as a church family, Let's be marked by that. Let's hold the Bible. Let's be people of action. And let us hold on to this, that we are a people of prayer. That let's become this. We're a people of prayer. And because we pray, we make earnest prayer. And God builds in us a sense of expectancy of how he's going to work. And then we walk around this planet very much at peace, knowing that God's got the supernatural covered and he's got the natural. Let's take a minute. Close up if you need to close up. And, and um, I think what would be most appropriate after preaching on prayer is to actually spend a few minutes to pray. Um, and I think Frank will come up and just play something here for a minute. And, and if we could just do this, I think.
think this is what's best. If you're here this morning and you say, man, I've got something that I need specific prayer for. Like I've got a unique situation that I need to set before the Lord. If you would, would you just stand where you are? and We'll, we'll pray together as a church family. Unique setting, unique situation, but we'll pray together. You stand right now, and then we're going to ask Jesus to do kingdom things in us and for us. have somebody next to you and they don't look like they're going to smack you in the head if you want to hold their hand or put a hand on their shoulder or something like that just as a sign hey you're not alone in this So, Father, your gathered people are here. Needs all over the room. Some people just don't even, I just, I sense it. Some people don't even have the strength to stand up. But still, their need remains. For those folks, for these who are standing already, got every unique situation, every um, relationship, every financial need, every health need, every place, every trouble, every worry, every struggle, every kid that is represented here, every marriage, every work situation. Every loved one. We're setting all of these before you. God, and we're kind of loading ourselves into the blocks for ready, set, go. We're anticipating that you're going to move even this week. And that's what I'm asking for, God, is that you, we've talked about prayer. We've taken time to pray. And I'm asking, God, that even this week, you would move the needle for this, these situations, whatever that looks like. Whatever is best, whatever is right, and whatever is good for your people, whatever is right and good for the world around us. God, would you move now? For some, that'll be kind of hitting the brakes. For some, it'll be stepping on the accelerator. However it needs to go, God, would you just move? By your Spirit, would you um, speak? And would you encourage? And would you convict? God, and I don't doubt, and we're talking about the supernatural realm, I don't doubt that there are going to be Men and women this week who need angelic protection. So we say yes and amen to that too. Um, And in the same breath, God, I say for all of these situations, not for our comfort and not for our convenience, but God, for the gospel to go forth through us. Let people see it and give us opportunities to speak it. We're your people, Father. Made your people by Jesus. Through whom 
we come boldly to the throne of grace there to find mercy in our hour of need. So God, pour out your mercy now. And we ask this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen and amen.